0: You're listening to the Cradled in Hope podcast, where we believe that the hope of heaven, through faith in Jesus Christ, has the power to heal our hearts after the loss of a baby. It's a pain no mother should have to endure, and we want this podcast to be a safe place for your broken heart to land. Here, we are going to trust God's promise to restore our joy, use our grief for good, and allow us to spend eternity with our babies in heaven. I'm your host, Ashley Obliger. I'm a wife, mom, and follower of Christ clinging to the hope of heaven. My daughter, Bridget, was stillborn at 24 weeks in my first pregnancy in 2014. In her memory, my husband and I started a nonprofit ministry called Bridget's Cradle, and God has given us purpose in our pain, and we've seen beauty come from ashes. Although we wish you didn't have a need to be listening to this podcast, We believe God has a reason for you to be here today. We pray this time would be a source of healing for you as we remember that Jesus cradles us in hope while He cradles our babies in heaven. Though we may grieve, we do not grieve without hope. Welcome to the Cradled in Hope podcast. In this week's episode, we welcome Kristen Hernandez. She is a writer, podcaster, wife, and mother to six children one in her arms, and five with Jesus. As she grieved her babies, Kristen wrestled with her faith and with God. It was in this process she truly began to dive into Scripture and see the goodness of God in the midst of suffering. Kristen blogs at sunlightindecember.com and is the co-host of the podcast, Through the Lens. Her first book, Sunlight in December, A Mother's Story of Finding the Goodness of God in the Storm of Grief, is releasing this summer. She lives in Southern California with her husband and son. I am looking forward to you hearing Kristen's story. Though it is filled with grief, it is also filled with hope. Let's welcome Kristen. Welcome, Kristen. We are so grateful to have you here on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I actually found you on Instagram, and I've just been so blessed by everything that you share And your vulnerability and sharing your story and your grief. And so I just want the audience to know a little bit more about yourself if you want to share about your story and your babies in heaven and what your journey of motherhood has looked like.
1: Yeah, I'd be honored to share. So as you said, I'm Kristen. Um, I am from Southern California and I live here with my husband, Chris, who I met in college and our 10th wedding anniversary is coming up this November. And then we also have our son, Andrew, who is three, who's living with us. And to most people who just saw our family, they would think we're a small family, family of three, but we are actually the parents to six babies, five of whom are with Jesus. And our very first son is named Ethan. And we welcomed him after several years of battling infertility. Chris and I got married pretty quickly after college. And we knew right away that we wanted to start a family. And so it was only about a year into our marriage that we decided that we were ready to start trying. And I think we just were just so innocent and hopeful and really didn't think that it would take us very long. But Years passed. It was like a year passed, and then two years passed, and we started wondering what's going on. So we went to see some doctors, and it was basically what they referred to as unexplained infertility. There was really nothing noticeably wrong. The doctors kept saying, "Just keep trying. We really don't see anything. Your hormone levels are normal. You're both healthy. You're young. You just just keep giving it a go." And finally, one doctor said, "You know, I think." at this point with how long you've been trying, like we can make a referral for you to meet with infertility. And so at that point we had been two plus years just on this journey of just like monthly tears. And it mm. felt like to me in my mind, I felt like this is going to be our trial. Like this is our life trial. You know, it seems like everybody has like at least one big life trial. This is ours. Yeah. And eventually like the Lord is going to give us this baby. We're just going like, to keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. And and we just kept asking like, God, like open my womb. Like we want to raise this baby to love you. Like we want to raise this baby to know you. Like what we're asking for is this good thing. And we feel like you're withholding it. We know you're good, but like what, like we don't understand your plan here, but so we decided to do infertility, but we decided to wait a few months first. Cause I had just started a brand new job at the time. And we thought, let's just Take take this season, settle into the job, really just enjoy that. And then maybe next summer we'll start pursuing infertility. Um, and so it was early in that year, because it was right before the holidays too. So that was another factor was we're just gonna enjoy the holidays, start the new job, and um then we'll really dive into this and we're just gonna go all in and really just pursue whatever routes we need to for infertility. Um, but during that time, I did become pregnant for the very first time. And it felt like what people say happens. And and I know like so many of you listening have probably heard things like this and roll your eyes at it. Just like I have like words, like just relax or stop trying or mm-hmm. things like that. And I, I don't think God isn't playing games with us. He's not like manipulative like that. Like he's not looking for us, to, like just do that. Like mm-hmm. he's, he is sovereign over all of that. Um, but in my mind, I kind of bought into this. Oh, like maybe that works. Like I we had stopped trying. Like I wasn't doing anything and now we're pregnant. And so we were just, I mean, understandably ecstatic. And we were just praising God and just praying over this baby every single day that God would use this baby to be a means of sharing the gospel and that he would bring, draw people to Jesus. And in my mind, I was thinking that all of these prayers meant Jesus, when he's 18 and he wants to move overseas to go to the unreached and tell people about Jesus, like, I will just like surrender that and let him go. And in my mind, those were what those prayers meant. And I I don't ever think I actually had those intentions of boxing it in, but that was what I was picturing when I was like dedicating him to God and dedicating his life to God and really having no idea of what that would end up looking like and how God really would answer that prayer, but it would be in a way that I don't even think I knew was something that happened. So pregnancy was going really well. We were excited. We were starting to make plans and preparations and everybody around us who is so excited for us, because so many people have been praying for us over those mm-hmm. years that we would finally have a baby. And so we went to our 20 week anatomy scan and it was during that scan that they discovered that Ethan had a lot of health concerns. Um, he was missing a part of his brain. He had a really severe heart defect there are a few other things that look like they could be markers for something. And so our medical team was very upfront with us that we think that there's something really big going on here underneath the surface that could potentially be life threatening. So they offered us a lot of tests at that point and weighed the pros and cons. And I was nervous about the risks of getting an amniocentesis, even though they're very, it's a very low risk, but anytime they're inserting a long needle into your uterus. And I just, the very, very minimal risk of going into preterm labor or, or stillbirth. It was just like any risk felt too big for me. And I was just terrified. I mean, really I was terrified and we decided not to do testing because doctors assured us that having a diagnosis wouldn't change my birth plan. It wouldn't change what they did. Cause I also thought, well, if this will help them, if this will help my medical team treat him when he's born, I'm willing to take that risk. But they just kept reiterating over and over. This is really just for your knowledge so that you know what to do moving forward. And we knew that we would carry him to term regardless of what the diagnosis was. And so we just didn't know what to, like what we should do, but we knew that whatever it was, we wanted to fight for him and we loved him so much. Like from that very first moment, we knew he was there. We loved him, and of course. Um, and so we went through the pregnancy, which was really, really difficult. Um, just so much fear and and unknowns, and and praying for a miracle, like just constantly praying for a miracle, but not knowing if that is what we would happen, and really wrestling too, because I was I had a lot of people around me telling me things like, "We're just going to pray, we're going to have faith, and he's going to be okay," and as they would speak those words to me, my thoughts were always like, I know that God can do this, but I also don't know that that means he will, because I know he doesn't owe this to me. And I also look at scripture and I see people like David, who is called a man after God's own heart and like wrote part, like he wrote this, like many of the Psalms and God allowed his child to die. And so like really wrestling through, like God can do this, but I don't, know that he will. Cause I am even in scripture, seeing examples of him, not, and him still being good. And, but really still was kind of like, but maybe that could happen. And a lot of people saying like, doctors are wrong all the time. Like doctors can be wrong. Doctors can be wrong. And and knowing that, yes, that can be true. Like doctors do not know more than God, but also I knew he had equipped those doctors really well. And had given them tools to, to support us and and to study and to see, you know, what was going on with our sweet guy. And so to fast forward a bit on August 15th, 2015, my water broke while I was at home. And so we knew this was kind of moment of truth after months of driving to see specialists and we had been driving down to like several different hospitals for these appointments and i even had like a pediatric cardiologist in la that we were meeting with and they wanted me to deliver in los angeles and which would be over an hour drive from our house and so we th- we had been told if your water breaks don't go to your hospital in la like just get to the other hospital you'd been going to and we'll potentially transfer you so water broke at home we ended up rushing to the hospital And they got me admitted. They were going to transfer me to LA the next morning. And the next day, my labor really started ramping up like so quickly. So they had me on like a magnesium drip to hopefully slow down my contractions because they wanted to transfer me over. And he was A little early. And so they wanted to also give me steroid shots for his lungs. And they were just taking all precautions because nobody at this point knew the actual diagnosis. And so they were covering all their bases, doing everything they could. And the next morning, as they were prepping me for transport, I started transitioning um, just very quickly. And so we ended up not going to Los Angeles where I was going to deliver. We had him um, at our original hospital, which really like God's grace is in all of this too. We had just such a great team and caring nurses and doctors around us. I ended up having an emergency C-section because he was breached and he was born on August 16th at 1 um, in the afternoon. And his birth was silent from him and just so much hubbub from everybody in the room, just so many beeps and, and voices and everything. And they did everything they could for our sweet son. And after about 30 minutes of just so many efforts from the NICU staff and from my medical team, they told us that they were going to stop taking efforts because he just was declining no matter what they were doing. And so they asked if we wanted to hold him and my husband and I were like, yeah, like there's nothing else we want more than to hold our, our firstborn miracle baby that we've been waiting for all these years. And so we held him and we just soaked up that time with him. We, We sang over him and we just took pictures and we snuggled him and just tried to condense like this entire lifetime into yeah. the amount of time that we knew we had. And Ethan passed away later that same day at 305. So he spent 93 minutes in our in our arms and in our world before he went to be with Jesus. And I was, I mean, we were devastated. We there was peace in the room, um, which is just unexplainable. Like unexplainable piece in the room. And then those first few days and weeks at home were so incredibly difficult. Like I really felt almost as if I had been let out into the wilderness and left there. Like I was really angry and I really wrestled and I really struggled with doubt for one of like the first times in my life. I was just so mad, like so mad at God and didn't understand why our infertility would have been like almost healed in a way without any interventions or anything. And for just at the last possible moment, it felt like it was ripped out of our arms. And so we we were really just struggling and wrestling. And during that time, we did meet with Ethan's doctors because we did ask for testing to be done after the birth. And we found out that Ethan had trisomy nine. So many of you may be familiar with trisomy 13, trisomy 18, um, which do often create a lot of um, like life-threatening conditions in babies. And trisomy nine is, is like that. So it's the ninth chromosome that you have a third copy of. And our doctors explained to us that the full version of trisomy nine, when it's in every single cell of your body, because there are partial forms of this, Ethan had it everywhere. And that that is in their experience, always a fatal diagnosis. Um, so we knew, and we knew they reassured us going to LA wouldn't have changed anything. And I remember sitting there listening to the doctor explain like how chromosomes are formed in like cell division and all this stuff. And just sitting there thinking like, it is a miracle that any of us are here. Like just the complexity of like yeah. one tiny little thing goes different and you have a completely different outcome. And I was just blown away by that. And as we're wrestling. And I think it's in those, in those months, I really started to dive into scripture as I wrestled and really felt like the Lord met us there, not just feel like it, he did, like he meets us when we're in his word. And when we're even in wrestling, like in his word and drawing near to him. And so in those next few months, we, we decided to start trying to have another baby pretty quickly because it took us so long with Ethan. And we thought, well, it might take us another two to three years. So we're just going to dive into this. We're going to give it another try, knowing that this is never going to take the, another baby's never going to replace Ethan. It's never going to make our grief go away. Like this grief is something we're going to always have in this life, this side of heaven, but we, we want a a baby. We want a sibling for Ethan and we're ready to do this again. So we started about six months after, um, after losing Ethan, we started to, to try to get pregnant and expecting it to take a while, and I got pregnant that next month. And wow. I took the test, was optimistic but fearful. Um, and a week later, I started bleeding. It was really fast, really painful emotionally. I felt like a like the scab that was there that was already painful, just being ripped off of all of our grief. And so we really grieved that that loss and that that miscarriage of that baby and I don't know anything about that baby like I know that they were our child and that is as much as I know about them and I grieved that too that you know with Ethan I had pictures and a name and I knew little things about him and I knew what I craved when I was pregnant with him and I knew his movements and there were so many things I knew about him and with this baby I grieved all the things I would never know during this lifetime about him or her and so a little bit later we decided we're ready we're going to try this again we got pregnant pretty quickly last time we'll give it a shot and within 2 months we got pregnant again which is interesting it was always interesting to us cuz we thought it took us so long before and now like we're not doing anything we're just trying and getting pregnant right away and um got pregnant again and found out i was pregnant for the third time on Ethan's first birthday mm-hmm. and we, I mean, you feel so many emotions in those pregnancies after loss. And I felt this mixture of guilt, almost like that I'd found out on Ethan's birthday. Cause I really wanted to just remember and focus on Ethan that day. And then at the same time, I almost felt this like relief and this like, all right, Lord, like, this is you like redeeming this part of our, this really hard, beautiful, like part of our life. Like, of course we would never getting to meet Ethan. Like, I'm so grateful for that time I had with him and I would not go back and change anything. But of course we miss him and we feel like our family, like we want it to look different and we want to have kids in our home and, and just felt like, all right, like this may be the beginning of, you know, something else. And so things were going well, we passed the point where I'd miscarried our second baby and we're just starting to let ourselves feel, you know, pretty hopeful. And when I was eight weeks pregnant, I went in for an ultrasound and they told me, "We're so sorry. We your baby doesn't have a heartbeat, and it actually looks like you have what we call a blighted ovum, where there's a sac forming in a placenta and different things, but we're just not seeing a baby. Like there, it's just not forming. This doesn't look like a viable pregnancy. So they sent me home, and they had me go in for blood tests just to see if my if my hormones would go up or down. And they started dipping, and then I did start miscarrying at home not that long after when I was about nine weeks along. And so at that point we thought, well, maybe there's something going on because we were assured with Ethan that trisomy nine, and most of those trisomies are not genetically passed down. That's not usually something that we would be carrying, but after three losses, my doctor did suggest that we do some blood tests and we just kind of see, is there some reason that you've had three losses in a row? So, My husband and I underwent like almost every single test that we could think of or that my doctor could think of and everything came back normal, which was difficult. You'd think that that would be such an encouraging, such encouraging news to receive that you're not a carrier for anything. You're quote healthy, like just keep trying. There's no reason to be concerned yet. Here we are grieving the loss of three beautiful babies and we are, we have no idea why. And so we really answers.
0: I know no it's so hard.
1: It's such yeah. a hard place to be because we want that. Like as humans, like we want those answers. We want to know. And I think it, it helps. I know for me, it helps me feel in control and I was never in control, but I wanted that feeling of if I know what it is, then I can be better equipped to make decisions or I can take Steps to be proactive about maybe preventing it or doing something or at least going into it knowing why and what my risks are and what my chances are and no answers is such a discouraging place to be. And at that time, I did start to have some other health issues and I ended up going to the doctor to check out some things. And it turns out I had PCOS, which they never saw before. Um, My doctor's not even sure that I had it before. They said, you may have had it before and now your symptoms are coming up. Um, but I had gone to the doctor cause I started to have some pain on the side. And so it ended up being cysts on my ovaries and I started to have really irregular periods at that point. And they said, you have PCOS. Like they did a workup of my hormones after we did those initial tests. And they said, you're like, you're a definite case of PCOS. They didn't really know what to do with me. Cause some of the things they normally would recommend, like didn't apply to me. And they were like, well, like here's some medication for you to try. And I was asking, can I try changing my food or different things like that? And so they gave me some medication and I was only on it for about a week because it made me really sick. And I said, I just not going to keep doing this. I'm feeling really, really sick. Um, And at this point, like we're not even sure we are in a place to want to pursue pregnancy. We had started to really pray, Lord, is this what you even want for us right now? or is there something else that you have for our family? And so I had started to really cut back because I used to be a runner and I ran a lot and I started to actually cut back on running and on exercise and did more of like Pilates and tried to just listen to my body more. And was trying to just do some research on PCOS stuff and things I could do to hopefully help with that. And so during that time, we started to really pray about oh God, what's next for our family. And we went to church on Mother's Day, which is something many of you listening know is like a scary thing to try. Like I usually on Mother's Day wanted to just be home and not be around anybody. And we had just started attending the church where we are currently at our church home, um, had just started there and I didn't know how they did Mother's Day. Like, I didn't know what to expect. Do they make a show of it? Like, is there something, how hard is this going to be to sit there at our new church, like where we knew people, but we didn't know people super well. We'd only been there a few months, like having never done Mother's Day there. And I had left Mother's Day church services in tears before, like even during those years of infertility, like before going through the losses, it was just so painful to be there. And I wanted to just rejoice with those families that were rejoicing. And it was so difficult for me to do. And I, I wanted to, like, I really wanted to but it was so painful when that's what mm-hmm. you want so badly and so we decided to go we said we're going to give it a shot and that day I'm I'm so glad we went it was very encouraging i feel like they prayed over all of the women just in different stages of life and women who had lost mothers and women who have, were adopting or walking through fertility or had lost children or had toddlers at home or were sending teenagers out like just very like There was a time of prayer just for like women in the church and um, how we love and mother those around us through discipleship. And I feel like there was just such an emphasis on that. And then they specifically talked about God's heart for adoption and how God has adopted us as his children. When we come to Jesus, like we are his children and really talked about that. And then they announced that our church was going to be starting a new foster care ministry. And they asked this local foster agency, this this family who had adopted their kids and worked through the foster care agency. And then also the people who ran the agency or worked with the agency and they had them share their stories at the very end and announced that our church is going to start this ministry. And I just felt this like stirring in my heart and we walked out of the service and I looked at my husband and I was like, I want to do foster care. And he said like, me too. Like I couldn't shake it the whole time we were sitting there. And so we very quickly, we met with the couple who worked for the agency. We filled out our application. We had a date with a social work, worker. We were so excited about it. I was praying and we were praying the whole time. Cause we knew we jumped into it very quickly. And we said, Lord, like, if this is not what you have for our family, whether at all, or in this season, make it very clear to us, close the door, like just, Prompt us because we're going to move forward because we don't feel like it's clear either way at this point, but like slam the door shut in our face if this isn't what you have for us. And so we were excited about it. I felt just such optimism and hope, and really was reading everything I could and trying to just like educate myself on just foster care and really felt like I was in a place for it. I really felt like I could love kids, no matter how long I have them in my home. Cause I know what that's like to do with a child of that. I didn't know how long I'd have and just felt like I was able to give Ethan my all knowing I was going to say goodbye eventually. And so we, we were all in and I had an appointment with my doctor that next month just to check out my cysts and see how things were going. Cause he had told me if you want to try some natural things, I can't really like advise you in it, but if you want to try it, I'll retest you. Like I'll retest you and see what your levels are and we'll see how, how it works. Like basically I give you my support, but I can't actually like prescribe or tell you what to do with that. I had my appointment scheduled and I went in and had my scan and my doctor told me your cysts are gone completely. And are you aware that you're pregnant? And I oh, was goodness. like, no, like no idea. And my doctor said, well, you know, the test, cause they make you take a test when you get there. And at that point I would like roll my eyes at them because I we in this time, this was like a full year after our last miscarriage, and my periods have been all over the place. And we just knew like they had told me the last time you're not even likely ovulating at all because of everything we're seeing. And so I was in shock because I didn't realize my period was that late because like my periods have been so irregular. And so came home and told my husband, like they told me that I'm pregnant, like we are pregnant, we're expecting again. And so we were continued praying, like, all right, Lord, like if You want us to not do foster care? Show us this because it's seeming like maybe this is you rerouting us. And went to my next appointment, and the they it was with a tech. They just did a scan. They got me an early scan because of my history, and um, they did the early scan. And I didn't get to see anything. And they were asking me just all kinds of questions during the scan about how did you conceive and. All these things, and in hindsight, I didn't think anything of the questions until the doctor sat me down after and said, "I'm glad you're sitting down. I wanted you to know that there are two healthy heartbeats that we found in your ultrasound. You're carrying twins,
0: and they look good.
1: They look great. You have two, and so we went home that day and we withdrew our application because we felt like this is not the time. And, And the agency we're going through, they don't allow you to receive placements or even to be active." if you have children under the age of one in your home. And so we were like, well, this is confirmation. And now I'm going to have a tri- a twin pregnancy, which any pregnancy after a loss is going to be a pregnancy where I'm going to just need to really like, not like try to just really like minimize stress if I can. And also a twin pregnancy is going to be a high risk pregnancy anyway. And so we just really felt confirmation and peace that we need to withdraw. So we withdrew from foster care from the application. And we just started to prepare to have these twins and we saw their heartbeats again and they were just growing so well. And we were just Mm -hmm. like, all right, like we were researching double strollers. And, and at this point, and I'm sure we'll circle back around to some of just like my journey with Jesus through all of this. But at this point I had come through this intense season of wrestling and doubt and, Prior to, I think around the third miscarriage is where I really began to feel this like indescribable peace and this understanding that God is good and really believing it. like Not just saying it, but really believing that like God is good even if I never carry another baby in my womb. God is good even if not. And even before we started pursuing foster care, when I was just having the, the PCOS diagnosis, I started to really you know, grapple with God and come face to face with the question of like, Kristen, what will you think of me? Even if I never give you this, who am I to you regardless? And and who are you? Even if I never, ever give you this thing that you were striving after. And I really felt like I came to this piece of like, yes, of course, like I would always want, I would always want to be a mother and that was okay. And also at the same time, trusting that God is good and has a plan and is going to use my life. And for his glory, even if it doesn't look like how I thought it would. And even if I never bring another child into my home,
0: such a place of surrender. It was such a place of surrender. When you get to that place in your walk with Jesus, Mm -hmm. where you can say, these are the desires of my heart, Mm -hmm. Lord, that I feel like you placed in my heart, but I'm willing to surrender those because I believe in you and I trust you and I love you. Jesus more than I Mm -hmm. love any earthly thing. Even if it's like you said, a good thing, a good gift, we know children are a gift from God, but I think when you're in your Christian walk and you Mm -hmm. can get to a place of, like you said, even if, even if you don't give me a baby, even if this happens, I still love you, God. And I'm going to walk with you through that. That's a a hard place to get to, but I think it's also a beautiful place in your Christian walk, because I, I think it really resembles What Jesus asked us to do: pick up your cross and follow Mm -hmm. me. And that's that's where we're going with Jesus: is following Him, no matter the
1: cost and no matter the sacrifices we we make. But it's extremely hard. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more with every single thing you said. And you touched on something too, like these good things, like these things, like like children and our marriages. Like these are good things that God gives to us and entrusts us with. But I think there is this temptation, I know, for me to make those things the main thing. And these are gifts that, yes, like we should praise God when he generously gives us those things. But I didn't deserve those things. Like I, he didn't owe it to me. And he, in his goodness, like has given us some of those things. And yeah, like they're these good, good things, like good, good things that he uses and that glorify him. But it's, there's this temptation to make that my idol and to put right. that like, at, like what I'm living for and realizing like, no, Jesus is what I'm living for. And I could lose every, everything else, like absolutely everything else. And if I have Jesus, then I have everything I need. And I really felt that peace and that surrender. And so I think when we found out we we're expecting the twins. I was like, all right, Lord, like you are giving me this, this thing that I've wanted. And I trust you that you are good, even if we don't bring these babies home. But also that was the desire of my heart that, and like you said, like this desire Lord that you've given me. And so help me know what to do with it and how to like glorify you in it, even when it's an unfulfilled desire. And so everything was going great with the twins and we were so excited and just really began to pray. Lord, we devote them to you and we thank you for in this time where we were not pursuing pregnancy that you gave us these two babies that are developing well and we're doing great and so when i was 10 and a half weeks pregnant i went to another appointment and i told my husband like just stay home like he has he had work i said or not stay home i said go to work i'll go by myself we've already had two appointments where there were good heartbeats I'm not even in the second trimester yet. Like I'm almost done with the first, but we still have like a few more weeks until we're there. And I'm going to have so many appointments now because with the twin pregnancy, like Mm -hmm. just save your time off for later and just I'll go by myself and it'll be fine. So I went and I've got there and met with my doctor. And as soon as she turned on the Doppler, I knew immediately because I knew there are two babies and to not be able to find either heartbeat probably means something is going on. Like something, if they're, I don't think they're alive anymore. Like I just knew immediately, she, she did an ultrasound. She said, I, I'm so sorry. It, it looks like they're measuring a week behind what you're thinking, like where they should be. She's like, it's looking like around nine, between nine and 10 weeks, they stopped growing. She said, but I don't want to jump to conclusions yet. I want to send you to get another ultrasound with the the specialty department that has like a little bit better equipment, and before we make any decisions and before we make a plan from here, like I just want you to have that peace of mind and a second opinion. And so, second opinion just really confirmed what I feel like I already knew the moment she turned the doctor on was that our babies had both died. And so, I really felt just so broken and was like, Lord, like five, five, five babies and. I, you know, really wrestled with him and was like, Lord, like I trust you, but was there a better way to tell us no to foster care in this season? And was there a better way, like, rather than like things looking so good and looking so good and feeling like this is it, this is it. And it's twins and there's two of them. And then for them now to be gone. And so I ended up having a DNC the next day. My doctor said at this point, with it being two and with you being a little further on than the other miscarriages. I really don't want you to do that at home. I would really recommend you delivering here. And so she told me all of my options and I ended up opting for the DNC. And so the next day came back and had a DNC. And we, after that said, like, I don't think we're going to do this anymore. Like we've already come to this place of peace with this not being what our family looked like. And I feel like the pregnancy with the twins, like rekindled this. I mean, the desire was always there, and it was always something that even in the surrender I would talk to Jesus about of I still desire this. I'm not like it's not the desire is not gone, but my hope is elsewhere. Like my hope has been redirected, but I still long for this. Although where my ultimate hope is and all of that, like that is somewhere else. And I trust you in that um and at that point we said like i think we're completely done i don't know what god has for us next it doesn't seem like it's foster care in this season it doesn't seem like it's pregnancy in this season we don't know what it is we're just going to focus on other things and so in that time in those next few months my husband and it's interesting cuz he was also very like I, I can't ever watch you go through this again like i don't ever want to watch you go through this again and which i understood like i understood where he was coming yeah. from i know it was so hard for him to watch and feel helpless in so many moments of only being able to do so much. And so he came to me like a few months, it was two months after we lost the twins and said, I don't know what it is, but I just can't shake like this feeling that we should try one more time. And I looked at him and was like, you're crazy. Like I'm never doing this again. Like never, ever. I'm so terrified of ever getting pregnant again. And no, like I I don't want to do this again. And we, we talked about it and I said, I agreed to, and it was a very, I mean, there was definitely like a two-way conversation. Like we, mm-hmm. we t- we're talking it through and he was very understanding of my fears. And was like, I know, like I felt that way too, but I just like, can't shake it. Like, I think we should try one more time. And we together decided how about until the end of the year, this was in September. How about until the end of the year, we don't try to prevent it. And we just see what happens. And I am fairly certain that within the week we got pregnant for the sixth time and I was scared, very, very scared again to be pregnant with our sixth baby after losing five. And we went to all of our appointments, had a lot of early scans. My doctors were very proactive with me. They said, we're going to just do scans on your cervix every other week, just to see if it's getting shorter We're going to put you on progesterone just in case that helps. Like, we're just going to do everything for you. Be very proactive. We're going to get you in with the high risk doctors really early. Like that's going to be your primary doctor. Like your primary OB is going to be within a maternal fetal medicine, like specialist, like you're just going to be bumped up. And so everything going great. Everything was going great. I was having my cervix measured every two weeks and everything was looking long and nice and when I was 20 weeks pregnant, they did the full, well, even sooner around 16, they did a full anatomy scan and they said, everything looks wonderful. We're going to keep doing this. Like, we'll, next time we see you, we'll do another one. And in 20 weeks, my doctor said, everything looks perfect. I am going to dismiss you to a normal OB because I don't think you need me anymore. Like, I'm telling you, like, this is a textbook normal, healthy pregnancy. You have a healthy baby. No reason to be concerned. I'm going to see you one more time. When you're 22 weeks, and then I think around 24, he said I'm gonna dismiss you. So when I was 22 weeks pregnant, I showed up, and my doctor scanned my cervix and said, "I did not see this coming, but you're dilating. Like no one saw this coming. Like I don't know what happened. I mean, it was a miracle. It is the grace of God that he even told me that he's like I think you could stop seeing me now, but I want you to breathe easy. I'll see you until I think he said 24. He said I'll see you like two more times until 24. I'll see you because then you can breathe a little easier. And so he said, you need to go to labor and delivery like right now. And I was, as you can probably understand and imagine, I was a wreck. I was Mm -hmm. a complete wreck. And I was like, Lord, like why? Like I was in my mind convinced, like we're losing our sixth baby. And after everything has looked wonderful. So basically they discovered I had incompetent cervix, which I don't know if I had it before. I don't know if it was Having multiple deliveries and having a DNC and all like a combo of things, or if this was something I'd always had, don't know. Um, but so they admitted me to the hospital and we prayed. Like everybody told me, we're going to try to get you to 24. Like we're going to do everything we can to get you to 24. We can't give you steroid shots for your baby's lungs until you're 24. Like that's just our hospital policy. The NICU won't meet with you until then. Like there were so many things. It just felt like, we're just going to put you on bed rest and give you stuff to hopefully slow you down and give you a bunch of IVs and have you lay down and just hope that your baby stays in. And so I just prayed every single day, God, I, mean, and honestly, my prayers in that moment were Lord, help me believe you you can protect my baby, even if you choose to do it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Even if you say no, help me to believe you are capable because I am doubting, like help my unbelief, that prayer of like, Lord, Mm -hmm. like I believe, like help my unbelief, help me to believe that you are powerful and you are good. Even if you don't do this, even if you don't do this, help me to believe you can. And so we just prayed for another day. It was every night went to bed, not knowing will I be pregnant tomorrow and just prayed, Lord, give us one more day with this baby who seems to be perfectly healthy. And I'm, my body is just like trying to kick him out early and so a day turned into a week and that turned into two and it is i this is already a very long story that i'm giving in the most condensed version possible really but by the grace of grace of god and a complete and utter miracle i was on hospital bed rest in the hospital for 10 weeks wow. and our son andrew was born at 32 weeks not 22 when i went into labor and he cried like the loudest, most beautiful Mm. cry that I had like prayed to hear that whole time and spent four weeks in the NICU just getting bigger. And now he's, he's three and
0: just a gift. And I
1: praise God. I'm, and yes, like there's no other, there's no other answer than praise God. Like it's all God. It's nothing I did. It's not like, we don't like muster up enough faith or like prayer, like, God is sovereign and he holds every breath. And that was all God and just his hand and all of it. And I, and I think it's important to you to say, and something that has I've always felt important to me too, to mention this is I, I think in the very beginning when we lost Ethan, I like kind of just was like praying for this baby, feeling like when I have a baby, like that's going to be the redemption in my story. And I think it's so important to, to say that as much as I am so grateful beyond words for the life of my son and i can't even stress that enough i can't say that enough i love him so much but he did not redeem me like he mm-hmm. is not the redemption in my story he is not like the bow at the end he is not the one that redeemed all the brokenness of those five other losses like jesus already came as that baby like that was the baby that redeemed my story was god coming down to earth Fully God, fully man, like as a baby, and dying on the cross for me so that I could be redeemed and that I could stand before God and be a child of God and be adopted into his family. Like that is the redemption in our story. And I think it's so important to stress that because I would read stories while we were walking through infertility and while we were walking through loss after loss after loss, and thinking a lot of these stories were written by women who had their baby after. And I just always felt like that was the goal. And I felt like there was no hope for me sitting in that place of not having that. And I think it's so important to impart that. And, um, part of why, you know, I have a a book that is coming out this summer and I purposely do not include Andrew's story in that book because I felt like God really impressed it on my heart when He called me to tell our story that this is not the ending and I don't want anyone to ever walk away thinking that that was the ending like that was what it was all for like yes like I am so grateful like I don't want it to sound like I'm like he's not like no 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 like I and I praise God for that like that is a different story for a different a different time but we have this redemption in Jesus and it's not in the dreams we have for our lives here on earth happening. And yes, like God, it's, it's okay to have those desires. Those desires are for good things. And so I know that was a very long answer to our story. That's our family's you story. through
0: so much, Kristen. My heart just breaks for you. I truly cannot imagine going through so many losses and so many ups and downs and I kept thinking about it, and I know this is going to sound like a weird analogy, but we were just talking about roller coasters because you said Mm -hmm. you went um, yesterday and you were riding roller coasters. (laughs) And this is why my voice is kind of gone today. (laughs) You love roller coasters. And I was saying I did as a kid, as an adult, I feel like I don't have the stomach for, but I will say, I feel like infertility and going through pregnancy Mm -hmm. loss and it's just a metaphor it, and obviously it's it's much worse and much harder than an actual roller coaster. but when it comes to the hope and feeling like okay, maybe there's some hope and mm-hmm. then whether it's another month and a negative test and then your hope goes down and then it's like okay, but we're going to start this other fertility mm-hmm. treatment yeah and oh we're going back up and I see some hope and then another negative test. Or same thing, like going through pregnancy and then going through another miscarriage and that hope. And I feel like it is a roller coaster of hope and then hopelessness, a little bit of hope, hopelessness. But like you said, we can't have our hope being in Mm -hmm. the potential of another baby. And we, you said, you know, you wanted to impart that in your book and impress that upon our listeners. We do the same thing in our support groups because we have mom's Like myself, who have had rainbow babies, Mm -hmm. but I never want the rainbow baby to be the hope because it can't be our hope. Mm -hmm. I have two living sons after Bridget, and neither of them have replaced Bridget. Neither of them have healed me from my pain of losing Bridget. I still grieve Bridget, and I always Mm -hmm. will until I'm reunited with her in heaven. And so my hope is in. Jesus's work on the cross and the hope that I will see Bridget for all of eternity. And there can't be any other hope than that, because what if I wasn't able to have other children? Mm -hmm. And there were times in my journey, I went through infertility. Like I mentioned to you, I have PCOS and infertility and cycles that are off. And I had to be on progesterone and take shots in my Mm -hmm. stomach, but I might not have been able to have other children. And I had to come to that surrender place that we talked about where it was, even if these desires aren't fulfilled, I'm going to trust in you yeah, and I'm going to surrender those desires to you. And I really love that you brought that point up because our hope has to be in God and in eternity because we're not promised another baby. And unfortunately, some of the moms that we they may not have another baby. Mm -hmm. Of course, we pray for them and we have hope and we have faith for that prayer to be answered. But our hope and our ultimate hope has to be in the cross because that is the only promise that we have for certain is that we are promised eternity with our babies in heaven and we're promised because of our salvation um, from our own sin that we will get to spend forever with him eventually in our resurrected bodies on this new earth. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. And my goodness, Kristen, there's just so many things that you shared. I was taking notes that I want to touch on and you have walked through incredible suffering and your husband as well. And I'm sure your families and your friends that walked this journey with you. And when you were going through your pregnancy with Ethan, finding out that he had issues that were potentially life-limiting, What was that like with anticipatory grieving? I know you were praying for a miracle Mm -hmm. and praying for a good outcome, but also probably preparing for the worst. And I know I walked through that with Bridget and my complications in my pregnancy. So what would you say to a mom who's going through that as she's grieving, yet also trying to connect and bond and have hope and have faith that
1: maybe there's a miracle? Yeah. I I mean, first off, I would just say, I am so sorry that you were in this position and that this is not how it was always meant to be. Like God has always known, but this is the result of brokenness and this isn't something you did or how it should be. And I'm just so sorry that you were in that position. It's, such a difficult thing. And I, I think back on that time and just what that felt like. And it, it felt so much like carrying this secret almost. And I was pretty open. I feel like I'm a pretty open person just about things. And it doesn't take much for me to still make guts to somebody if I feel like they want to hear it. And so I feel like I was very open about what was going on, but it was really difficult because I felt like it was shocking to people and isolating and also like people didn't believe me. And so I think that's something a lot of mamas who are carrying a baby with different medical challenges or a life limiting diagnosis that a lot of people were very quick to dismiss that it was real, like very quick to like, Oh, but everything could be okay. Right. Or like, it's going to be okay. And I I often felt like I am already grieving and have this anticipatory grief, but nobody wants me to go there and nobody believes me. Like I felt almost this, like, like people didn't believe me. That's the best way I can describe it. I felt like I am carrying this really difficult thing on my shoulders, like for my child. Like I have this child who I'm carrying inside of me that I love so much. And on my shoulders is all of this weight of grief and hope and just despair and, and really just sadness over what I had hoped for this baby. And when I tell people that I'm carrying it, I feel like I was met with a lot of like, oh, it's not really that heavy because it's probably not there. Like I kind of just felt like people were very quick to dismiss that. And I don't know that that's everybody's experience, but
0: I think- What a hard um, place
1: as a mom to-
0: Yeah. You don't want to defend that truth because Mm -hmm. that is your worst fear and you're walking this nightmare- And you're grieving and you're sad. And so you don't want to be as the mom defending this. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? The negativity, because it's like you are still hoping for the best, but you're also Mm -hmm. faced with this reality of what the doctors are saying. And it's a really hard place to be in. I'm so sorry. I honestly didn't realize that people would have that sort of reaction.
1: Yeah. And I think, and it may have just been like in that season just where we were at in, in in life and the church we were at at the time. I think that was, I think there was a little bit more of some influences of kind of like prosperity thinking, which I've definitely stepped away from this idea that God be follow God and your life is going to be easy. Like the scripture Mm -hmm. says the opposite to us as believers where we live sacrificially And we're laying down our lives every day and we are going to suffer. Like that is a promise that we do have from Jesus that we will suffer. So I think walking through something so difficult, it it made me turn away from this idea that if I do the the right things and I follow God, like my life's going to be easy when suffering is guaranteed to us. It's a promise. Yeah, so I wrestled with that as we were walking through the pregnancy with Ethan. But I think my encouragement to those moms is just really, well, several things. One, I would say- really being in scripture is always an encouragement to me, no matter what. And I think the scriptures that encouraged me the most are ones that don't sound very encouraging on the surface. I think I just mentioned, you know, in Matthew, Jesus says like in this world, you will have suffering, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And the promise of suffering doesn't sound encouraging to many, but to me in that moment, it was very encouraging because it was this reminder that though, I feel like so many people around me are unwilling to believe that I'm going to suffer. Jesus is telling me like, if you do, you probably, you probably will. At some point you will, and you might in this situation and I have overcome. And so you can just rest in that. I think just really seeing how much scripture addresses suffering was really encouraging to me, but also just like practical things. I would say, don't be afraid to prepare as much or as little as you want, because everybody around you is going to have opinions about that. And I think It can be glorifying to God to do multiple things. So like preparing a nursery, like that can be done to his glory or not doing it. Like it doesn't mean you don't trust him if you don't want to prepare a nursery. It doesn't mean you're not grateful for the things he's doing in your child's life. If you don't prepare a nursery or don't have a baby shower, or maybe you want to, and that's great. Do it then. And I think that's my encouragement because I felt like I had so many opinions being thrown at me from people who we're very well-meaning, but saying, well, of course you should, you know, have a baby shower. We need to celebrate them or, "Oh, you're going to do that. And it just felt like there's so many opinions. And so really that is between you and the Lord and like you, your husband and the Lord. I think I also need to just surrender people's expectations and being okay with just really owning that. Like I am this baby's mom. Like God has entrusted this baby to you and you're already their mother. And I, and I think another thing, I feel like I'm kind of Scattered and all over the place. But that is what pregnancy feels like when we are, there's so many emotions. And it is like that roller coaster. But another thing I would just say is that I have never regretted it. And I think it is would have been so helpful to me and was because I did find some stories like this so helpful to me during that pregnancy to hear that from other people that it will probably be the most difficult, painful thing you ever experience. Like, I'm not diminishing that at all. It will likely be like the most devastating thing you can imagine. But also, there can be such beauty in that, and that your baby is not a surprise to God and they're not a mistake. And I, I do not regret those moments. And I think there can be such joy in those moments. And so keep moving forward, knowing that though that baby is not your hope, there is that joy, even in something so broken and in meeting them and in their story. And and God has entrusted that to you. Yeah, I love that you said, even though it's
0: painful and it's going to be hard, I don't think there's going to be a mom that would ever look back on that time and Mm -hmm. regret celebrating their life yeah. and trying to connect and trying to bond, even though it's hard. But on the flip side, there could be regrets if you choose not to, but that doesn't mean that you have to be hard on yourself or live in a state of regret if you didn't. And we just had Amy Valentine on our podcast episode before ours, and she walked a very similar road. And we have a couple of resources about this. If you are walking through this life-limiting diagnosis, and there's potential that your baby will die because of a medical complication. So on our website, we have a page called Expecting Loss, and I share some ideas of ways that moms who are walking this road can experience joy and connection with their baby, even when it's hard and even when they're walking through pain. We have a lot of ideas on there of ways to read to your baby pray to God, journal, connect, make memories through the pregnancy. And when you deliver the baby and are able to spend time holding, you had mentioned there is that peace that surpassed mm-hmm. all understanding. And even though it's a devastating and heartbreaking day, there's still that joy in getting to hold your precious child and bond with them in those moments that you have together. And so we have that on our website. And then Amy Ballantyne has a beautiful resource called Known. The PDF guide that has all of these resources and ideas listed. And so we'll list that as well. Do you have any other ideas or resources that we could share with listeners?
1: Yeah, I I love that she has that. And I'm going to go check that out right after this, because I've been thinking that there, there wasn't a lot out there that I could find like that when I was walking through it. I am part of a podcast called Through the Lens Podcast. And we talk about loss and suffering through a biblical lens. And we did do an episode. I'll have to look at the exact number and you could link it in the show notes. I'll send it to you. We did an episode on carrying a baby who may not come home and specifically talking about having children with life-limiting diagnosis. And then another book that I'm sure many of you may have heard of, the I Will Carry You by Angie Smith okay. was the first book I read after we lost Ethan. And that book was just such a balm and an encouraging encouragement to me. And just to hear from somebody who had also walked a similar journey was the first time I had really heard of anyone else going through anything similar and just her words and always pointing it back to Jesus was just such such an encouraging and was so uplifting to me in those first initial weeks of grief and we will link that as
0: well we have it on our website and she talks about the dance between grief and joy and it's just a sacred dance of walking that and doing so at the same time grieving and connecting and loving your baby and how you navigate all of those emotions that you're experiencing so thank you for bringing that up we hope you are enjoying this episode so far we wanted to take a quick break to tell you about some other hope-filled resources our ministry provides to grieving families. On our website, Bridgetspradles.com, you can find many resources on grieving and healing, including memorial ideas, quotes in scripture, blog articles, featured stories, recommended books, and other support organizations. We share ideas on how to navigate difficult days, such as due dates, heaven days, and holidays. We also have a page with ideas on how to care for a friend or family member who has experienced pregnancy loss. In addition, every month, I lead free Christ-centered support groups for bereaved moms called Hope Gatherings, both in person and online. You can find a list of upcoming dates and sign up for our next support group on our website. You can also join our private Cradled in Hope Facebook group for grieving moms to find friendship and support. We would be honored to hear your baby's story and be praying for you by name. Lastly, our Pinterest page has beautiful graphics of quotes and scripture from this episode, along with many other resources that you can pin and save. We would also love for you to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us on these three pages, Bridget's Cradles, Cradled in Hope, and my personal page, Ashley Oppiger. We'd love for you to follow along and spread the word about the Cradleton Hope podcast. Now, let's get back to our episode. We have talked about a lot of different things. Your journey, you've gone through so much and have been acquainted with suffering and grief on this earth. And you talked about the prosperity gospel. And in my opinion, when we go through loss, errors in our theology are exposed. Mm-hmm. And for me, in particular, I would say when I was walking through it, I was like, why God, why are you letting this happen to me? I am a good Christian. I follow you. Why would you allow this to happen to me? As if God only allows good things to happen to good people um, who are Christians and bad things happen to bad people and all of that. And that is not biblical at all. And I would say that at the time I knew that, but I didn't feel that. It was so offensive to me that as a Christian, I could be walking through this. Why did did you abandon me, God? Why are you allowing this to happen? Are you punishing me? Did I do something wrong? Of course, like I said, it is not biblical, but it exposed some areas in my life where I was believing that just because I was a Christian and I was serving him and loving him and choosing to do the right thing. And, but that's not, how it works. Because of the brokenness of the earth, bad things happen to good and bad people the same. And not to mention, we're all sinners. We're, we all fall short of the glory of God. And so I'm not deserving of good things happening to me. I am a sinner in need of a savior. And I knew this before I was walking with Jesus before, but I think it exposed this idea in my mind that I could only view God as good when good things were happening. But that's not how it is, just like you talked about. Suffering is something that we should expect and embrace because we know that there's eternal glory that awaits us for going through that. And Jesus himself, when he came to earth, was hated by the world, persecuted, crucified. And as hard as it is to say, that is the walk that we um, take on when we choose to follow Jesus. And I think there's something about walking through suffering and walking through loss. That exposes theology and what you really believe to be true about God's character and who He is. And then, in a way, it fixes some of that because you realize He is good even in my Mm -hmm. suffering. He's so good in my suffering, and I need Him in my suffering, and I can trust Him in that.
1: Yeah. Amen.
0: Before we close, I just want you to talk a little bit more about this book that we've mentioned Sunlight in December. You also have a website, right? And Instagram by that name. Mm -hmm. And really I would just view it as a ministry that you started with this book. And if you would just share with our audience a little bit more about it, when in your story did God put Mm -hmm. this on your heart and when did you start writing it and where can people find this when it does release?
1: Yeah. So my book is called Sunlight in December, a mother's story of finding the goodness of God in the storm of grief. And by the time this episode releases, it may be released. We're looking at late July or August of 2021. So check Amazon or connect with me on Instagram if you're unsure, and it will definitely be announced there when it's ready. But I actually started writing this book two weeks after we lost Ethan. I I started just journaling. Like It started out that I did not want to forget any of the details of our pregnancy with him. I didn't want to forget his birth. I didn't want to forget his life and the time we did have with him and his memorial service and all of these different things. I did not want to forget it. And so I started just sitting at my computer and just typing out every detail I could remember. And it has gone through a lot since then. I've polished it up a lot. I took a lot of details out. There were so many details that I wanted to remember that I realized were very important to me, but not necessarily like pertinent to the story. But I started then and I really just felt like God was stirring in my heart that like, I'm going to use Ethan's story. It's just going to be different in the way that you originally prayed when you got pregnant with him and you thought it was him being a missionary or a pastor, like I'm still using his life. And so I started to write a lot of things out and it started then. And I Just kept writing and I started writing as I wrestled. I I wrestled a lot. I talk a lot about doubt and wrestling and also encouragements for us of just wrestling well, because I think wrestling is different than turning away. And I think sometimes people confuse the two things and kind of redefine wrestling as something that it's not, but wrestling is an active process of engaging God through scripture and through prayer. And it's very different. I think sometimes I see a lot of people kind of running in the other direction and calling that wrestling. And I think that's, that's different, but I also think we should not feel shame for wrestling. And so as I wrestled, I wrote about that a lot. And I want people to feel that freedom to wrestle and to wrestle in a way that draws near to the Lord and brings our questions to him and turns to scripture to be our foundation when we're feeling anger and all these real, real, real emotions that all of us deal with at some point. And so it's really written as a memoir that I started through the loss and continued to write the loss of Ethan and continued to write as we were walking through miscarriage. And there were full years that would pass where I'd stop writing. And it wasn't until about a year ago, I just really felt like God prompting me that it's time to pick this up and finish it and to do something to do something with it. It's been sitting, cause it was sitting there done for over a year prior to becoming pregnant with our youngest. I had finished it at that point. And then when I was pregnant with him, I was just in survival mode. And it was like, I can't even look at all these details and dive into them and talk about them over and over with people. Cause I'm just really like in such a vulnerable place of trying to get through this season. And I really just, even in that season felt like God prompting me, okay, I want you to go back to that. I, Don't want you to lose sight of this, like this story that I've given you that I want you to get out. And so written as a memoir, but again, touching on a lot of topics such as death and doubt and prayer and all through a biblical lens. My hope is that it points people to Jesus and also that it's raw and relatable because I think in wrestling, I think there is such a temptation to do it in secret and in isolation because we have felt shamed maybe in the past when we have Admitted to somebody else that we're struggling with doubt or that we're wrestling with certain things. And in many cases, I don't think anyone is attempting to shame. I think it's almost this like people just don't want you to doubt. So they're very quick to shut it down and say, you just need to have faith, like God is good and tell you all these things. And sometimes they're truths that are tossed in a way that doesn't land well because we're in a position where we can't catch it as easily. And so Mm -hmm. really wanting to be open about those very real emotions and struggles and also encouraging people to engage in that. Because I think sometimes the danger in wrestling alone is sometimes we just stop wrestling and we just stop and wrestling can be such a healthy thing. It can be such an intimate thing with God because he meets us there and his word is living and powerful. And so when we turn to that and when we come to him he meets us there, and so I. That's really my hope with this book too, is that people feel seen and understood too for these very real emotions, but also that they're left feeling hope. And and again, I, I purposefully do not end the story with the rainbow baby. I, I mention it in a single sentence, and that's about it. And because that is not the the hope that I want readers to walk away with. I want them to walk away with Jesus, and definitely. This pales in comparison to Jesus, but also want them to walk away with a a friend who understands what they're going through. So yeah, I'm really excited about that project and we're getting really close to it being in, in actual hands. And so I'm really honored and just excited to see what the Lord does with it.
0: So beautiful, Kristen, and we cannot wait for it to come out as well. We will be sure to link it on our website and everywhere so that listeners can find it. And we will also link everybody to your website and your social channels so they can find you and follow along. You share so much hope on your social channels as well. So I really hope that people will find you there and find encouragement through everything that you share. You are such a blessing to me and to so many other moms who are grieving and using your painful story for good and to honor the Lord. And, and that's, A beautiful picture, because like you said, we are going to experience doubt. We are going to question God and walk through these human emotions. We're humans. We're prone to doubt. We're prone to ask why and to wonder and to grieve. But when we turn to God and we wrestle with him versus against him or turn our backs away from him, that's when he does the work and he slowly comforts and heals our hearts And then we come out the other side stronger and more secure in our faith and our beliefs and all of that doesn't mean that we're not still grieving and that we won't miss our babies until we take our last breath, but God meets us there in that pain. And I firmly believe that he wants to do that work in our lives and in our hearts. So thank you so much for sharing that message and for everything that you do to glorify him and honor your babies in heaven so well. I know you're going to have a beautiful reunion one day with all of your precious children. And my heart breaks for you and Chris for walking this road, but I know God is going to use your story for good. So thank you for sharing it with our listeners on Cradled in Hope. And we will be linking all of this on our hope guide. Thank you for being here, Kristen. Great, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Cradled in Hope podcast. We pray that you found hope and healing in today's message. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. New episodes will be shared on the 1st and 15th of every month. You can also find this episode's show notes and a full transcript on our website at bridgetscradles.com backslash podcast. There you can download a free PDF for each episode called the Hope Guide that is filled with notes, scripture, links, discussion questions, and so much more be sure to leave your email address so that we can keep you updated on podcast episodes upcoming support groups and other hope-filled resources if you're interested in volunteering or donating to Bridget's Cradles in memory of a baby in heaven you can find information on our website on how you can get involved and spread hope to other grieving families one way you can spread hope is by leaving a review of this podcast on iTunes Consider the two minutes of your time as a way you can personally share this hope with a mom whose heart is broken and needs healing. Thank you so much for listening and sharing. Until next time, we will be praying for you. And remember, as Jesus cradles our babies in heaven, he cradles us in hope. Though we may grieve, we do not grieve without hope. This show is part of the ICT Podcast Network. For more information, visit ictpod.net.